I'm going to invite you to take a seat and to grab your Bibles or your Bible apps and turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is where we're going to be uh, looking today as we continue our study in the book of Romans. If you don't have an app on your device or a Bible with you, that's fine. Grab one of the Bibles in the seats around you. Turn to page 1,122, and you will find our text for the day. That's page 1,122. And as always, if you don't have a Bible with you, you don't own a Bible, you want to read God's Word, and, and you don't have a Bible, please take one of these. We want you to have the Word of God and read the Word of God, because we know if you do that, then God will change your life. Hey, uh, who's your daddy? I mean, you know, uh, seems to be a question that's being asked a lot these days, uh, along with who's your granddaddy and who's your great-granddaddy and your great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy. I, I mean, our society seems to be obsessed uh, in genealogy, knowing your family tree, knowing your heritage, knowing your history. Did you, did you know there are five major companies that will test your DNA? Which means that you spit in their box and send it to them. I mean, they, they literally, you just say, you know, they give you this little tube and you got to fill it up with your saliva and then mail it off. And they will tell you who you are. They'll tell you who's your daddy, you know, uh, and, and all these others. And you might find that you've got a, a, you know, sibling that you didn't know about. You might find that your daddy isn't your daddy. I've actually had people in my office that had discovered those things and, and wondered how that impacted their life. And uh, so let's just do a little test. How many of you have surrendered your saliva for DNA testing through one of these companies like 23andMe? There's a lot of people in here. How many of you have thought about it and just haven't got around to spitting in the box yet? Yeah. See, I'm writing this sermon and I'm thinking, I should do that, right? So I sent off and, and they sent me the kit and, uh, and, and then I spit in the tube and mailed it back, which is the weirdest thing, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and then the, they told me it'd be six to eight weeks. And so I'm waiting still. I don't have the results yet. So I'm waiting to find out who I am, right? Not really. I don't really care what the results show. I mean, honestly, uh, uh, it doesn't matter to me where I came from. I know some of my family history, and it's not really thrilling. I mean, it's not the kind that you're going, hey, look at our family. In fact, my, my dad broke uh, generational curses of alcoholism, abuse, and ignorance, I mean, he's the first one that was sober, uh, who, who took his family to church, made a commitment to Christ, that, that went to, finished high school, college, and post-grad. And, and so, you know, was, you know, I don't really care going beyond that because my dad blessed me and my mom blessed me in that way. And, and so it, it doesn't matter to me what those test results say. And truthfully, it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter for you, if you've experienced a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're a child of God. We are children of God. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. He says this. He's writing to the Christians in Rome. And he says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are children of God. What a glorious, wonderful truth that God has adopted us into his family, that you and I, as followers of Christ, have this intimate family relationship with the living God, that we can call him father, literally daddy. Do you notice that, that phrase in there? We can call him Abba, father. It's not referencing a 70s Swedish rock group. It is a word for familial relationship with your dad. So uh, let's just do a little thing. You know, most people in this room have a dad or had a dad. And uh, I, so far, this has been very few. How many have, you know, in your family, when you came home and you saw your dad, you said, hi, father. Any, anybody use the, the father? Okay, couple people. Okay, couple people. But most, how many of you use the phrase dad or daddy? Look at that, hands all over the place. How many of you use something else? You know, some strange, you know, pops or, you know, whatever. Okay. The, uh, see, we all use something different, but most of the, the names we use were not formal names. Most of us use familial names. We use the, that close names. Now, when you introduced your dad to somebody, you said, this is my father. You were formal because they didn't know him and there was an introduction, but you knew him. And, and so there was a closeness and, and the, the relationship demonstrated that. And that's how it is with God. We're not on a formal basis with God. We're on a, a close, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, notice this, and this is really important. Everyone is not a child of God. Now, it's really popular out in culture to hear people uh, being really inclusive and saying things like, well, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. We're all children of God. And, and that sounds good, and it sounds really inclusive. It's just not biblical. It's not biblical. Here at Calvary, we believe the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God that tells us what to believe and how to live. And biblically, everyone is not a child of God. Now, everyone is created by God, and therefore they are made in the image of God. Everyone's made in the image of God, and because they're created in the image of God, they have intrinsic value in and of themselves. As a person created by God, loved by God, and pursued by God. Because God wants a relationship with them. So that's what everyone is. Everyone is created by God, but not everyone's a child of God. Uh, we are adopted into God's family. We become children of God when we follow Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, it says, To as many as received Jesus, even to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so if you've come to that place in your life where you believe that Jesus is the one and only Son of God and Savior of the world, and you believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, and that he was raised from the dead, and you have made a commitment to follow Jesus with your life, then guess what? You are a child of God. You're a child of God. And Paul gives these two affirmations that give us certainty, assurance that we're a child of God. Now, before I dive into that, let me just uh, address something that you may have seen in the text. It uses the, the term sons a lot in the text. And some of you uh, might have a different translation. Some of the more modern translations will have children instead of sons. This translation kept the word sons because it's the most accurate one. But it also denotes what Paul is saying that he's not really trying to be exclusive. He's actually trying to be inclusive at this point. But see, in the, in the culture that Paul is addressing, sons had priority status. 
Okay, they had priority status for inheritance. They had priority status uh, in, in the family uh, for decision-making, all that kind of stuff. So sons had priority status in the families. And, and Paul is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, you have the same status in the family of God. We're all considered sons. In other words, we're all considered the, the priority status in the family of God. So there's no pecking order in God's kingdom. It's not, there's not like a higher and lower status. Everybody's included. And that's what he's saying. He's radical at this point, saying, hey, everyone, even no matter male or female, are all sons of God. They have all the rights of sonship. They have all the responsibilities of sonship. We're all in this together. So that's why that language is uh, uh, the way that it is. So the Apostle Paul gives two affirmations that give us certainty we're children of God. First of all, he says, you know you're a child of God if you're led by the Holy Spirit. If you're led by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch this? Verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All of us who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. He says, upon confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, God the Holy Spirit inhabited your life. It's called being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved in, and right away he started convicting you of sin, started teaching you the truth, started leading your life in a different direction. In fact, what he's doing is he's trying to teach us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to teach us the character of Christ. Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us what that looks like. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This, this is what God is doing in your life, by the way. If you ever got to that point where you go, God, what are you doing in my life? God's teaching you to be like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's trying to get you to make your life look like Jesus, and he's going to use your circumstances. He's going to use your tragedies. He's going to use your failures to help you grow in the character of Christ. He's leading you to life. And then Paul mentions another evidence of being led besides the fact that the Spirit's in your life teaching you. And, and that's courage over fear. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. God does not want you to be afraid, and he does not want you to live in fear. And, and, and Satan loves to wrap us up and control us by being afraid. And God says, hey, look, my Holy Spirit's in you, and he's going to lead you to faith. He's going to lead you to trust. He's going to lead you to belief. He's going to lead you to see that I'm always faithful so that you can always trust me, so you can always follow me. And I don't want you to be captured by fear. So if you see in your life the Holy Spirit always prompting you, leading you to take another step of faith out of your comfort zone where you don't really want to go, then you know that the Spirit's in your life and your life is being led by the Holy Spirit. That's an affirmation of our sonship or of our, our being children of God. And remember, the goal isn't perfection. The goal is improvement. It's growing in the fruit of the Spirit. It's growing in our understanding of God. So, so do you see evidence in your life of the Spirit leading you? Conviction of sin, teaching you, encouraging you. And then the second affirmation that the apostle talks about is being confirmed by the Holy Spirit. This is a great verse, verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit himself in you 
will convince you or confirm you that you belong to God. If you will, this is the voice of truth inside of you that says you belong to Jesus. It's the Spirit's voice in your soul that communicates God's love and comfort and conviction and assurance. Uh, and I would just ask, do you have that? And, and as, I, as I mentioned, the Spirit bearing witness and confirming it, some of you are really nervous right now. Okay, some of you grew up in, in faith uh, groups that kind of taught you to be nervous about your salvation. Some of you are sitting there going, well, Spirit's supposed to bear witness, and I'm nervous. What if I haven't lived up to his expectations? What if I failed? What if I've done this? And you're afraid that you're going to, like, get kicked out of the family. You're afraid that you might lose your salvation. You're afraid that you're going to mess up somehow, and, and God's not going to want to call you his child anymore. And, and if that's what you're worried about, remember, he doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to have faith and be courage. I, I want you to just to have that affirmation. Because if you're worried about disappointing God, you're probably in the family. Okay? I, I, you know, if you're worried about disappointing dad, you're probably a kid. Now, if you're sitting here and you're going, I'm not worried. I'm really confident. I want you to be a little bit worried. Okay? Not, 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 not maybe for why you think. Here's why I want you to, to at least double check the relationship. Uh, I read an article this week that said over 50% of Americans claim to have prayed the sinner's prayer and believe that they're going to heaven because of that. Now, I don't know about you, but there is something wrong with our country if over 50% are actually in relationship with God. Which means what? That maybe not everybody who thinks they're going to heaven, who thinks they're okay, is actually okay. See, maybe they haven't experienced a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody just sold them some hell insurance that God's not going to honor. You see, nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you say these words, you're going to go to heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, if you go to church and you join a church or you get baptized or you, you know, go to church, you're going to get to heaven. And there's a lot of people who think that they're okay when they're not okay. In fact, the New Testament over and over and over again warns about that. Jesus told three parables in Matthew 25. Go home and read it. Half the people in those parables do not do well. And they think that they're okay. They think they're going to heaven. They think that's all good and they don't make it. And they're warning us to not be overconfident that, that somehow if somebody else told us we're good, if somebody at a crusade gave us a card and said you're good, if somebody at a vacation Bible school when we were kids said, okay, you prayed this prayer, you're good. No, this is about a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms who we are so that we become children of God. And we know that because the Holy Spirit confirms that in our lives. And so if you don't have any idea of that confirmation, then maybe you should just check it at least. And if you find out or know that you're not uh, in relationship with God, ask him to change your life now. Stop listening to me and you just talk to Jesus and say, I confess you as Lord and I want you to change my life. So we are children of God. And because we are children of God, we are heirs with Christ. We're heirs with Christ. Verse 17 and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You're heirs with Christ. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that stinks, right? Because an heir, 
you know, in, in our culture, receives their inheritance when? Yeah, when dad dies. God's not going to die. He's eternal. We're not going to get anything. Ah. See, that's a, you know, sorry, that's just logical thinking in our culture. This wasn't written to our culture. Here's what you don't, probably don't know. The Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen. And the adoption reference was under Roman law. And Romans didn't adopt children to rescue them. Now, they might take in an orphan and, and let them be raised in their house. They might, you know, have some compassion on kids in need. But they didn't actually adopt them into their family because they just wanted to have more kids. Roman families adopted uh, kids or young adults because they saw talents and abilities and value in that person. And they said, this person will make our family better. This person will make our family stronger. It's kind of like you were hoping one of your kids would grow up to be a doctor, and instead you just went out and adopted a doctor. Okay? That's, that's what they're doing in, in Rome. They're saying, hey, you'd make our family better, and we're, so we're going to adopt you and make you part of our family. And as soon as they were adopted into the family, they had the full rights of the family. They shared in the family riches. They shared in the family business. They shared in the family responsibilities. Not only that, but to be adopted in Rome was you, you had an honored status. It, it was considered to be better to be adopted in Rome than to be a birth child. You know why? Because the family chose you. The family wanted you. The family said, you're important. We want you in our family. And the birth children, it's just like, hey, you get what you get. Right? Because I'm sure none of you have ever looked at your kids and then looked at your spouse and went, they're from your side of the family, aren't they? They got your genes, didn't they? You know? and, and, and so you get what you get. And yes, we love them because God gave them to us. But, but in that culture, that society, it was honored status to be adopted. So what does that mean for us? That means that we have special status as God's adopted children. And we're sharing in the kingdom's blessings and riches and responsibilities as heirs with Christ. Now we're sharing in that. And, and that ought to change the way that we think about our life because we inherit the kingdom because we're heirs with Christ that means that that we can live in the reality of victory every single day victory you see we are children of God and God has won the day we are heirs with Christ and Christ when he was on the cross declared it is finished he declared victory over sin victory over death, victory over hell. And, and when he walked out of the tomb on Easter morning, everyone knew it. That means we're in a family that can't lose. Our Savior's King of kings and Lord of lords. I, I mean, let that sink in. You are on the winning team and you were wanted on the winning team. I know football season's still a little bit ways away, but those of us who are fans are, are getting excited for it. Let me just put it, this is in football terms. If you're a child of God, God drafted you onto his team. God drafted you onto his team, and he doesn't cut anybody from his team. You're wanted, and, and his team, well, they, they just win all the time. All the time. Just let that sink in. It should impact our attitude. It should impact our expectations. It, it, it should impact everything about our life. This is life-changing good news. We're on the winning team. We can live in victory. And, and I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I grew up uh, as a loser, and so when I grasped this truth, I mean, it, it was transformative. 
I mean, I, I, you know, I know a lot of you going, yeah, he's a loser. No, I was thinking I should ha- tattoo an L on my forehead and just save everybody the time. And yet, recognizing that I can't lose, I mean, capable of losing because of God, and, and the fact that I'm in his family, that, that is amazing for me. So if you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing a loser, realize that's a lie from Satan. He wants you to feel that way. He wants you to believe that about yourself. It is not true. Unequivocally, you are a winner because you're in God's family. And, and, I, and I hope that that transforms you because as a winner, what that means is that, that we really can bless people because we win. We can be gracious to people because we win. We don't need to complain about stuff and whine about stuff and gripe about stuff. Think about this. You, you ever watch the interviews after a team wins the Super Bowl or, or wins a championship in something? Do, do you, does the guy who's the uh, MVP, does he ever stand up there and complain about the officiating and complain about the play calling and complain about this? No. What does he do? He's just like, woo, we won. I praise God and I'm so thankful for this opportunity and the fans are great and everything's great. Go in the loser locker room, they're talking about the officiating, they're talking about the play calling, they're talking about how somebody fumbled the ball. They're all grumbling and complaining. Why? Because they're on the losing team. Think about how this translates to our lives. What are we complaining about? We're on the winning team. We get the kingdom. We are heirs with Christ. Let's have the big picture here. Let's be gracious. Let's bless people. Let's have joy in our lives because that's what winners do. They, they know they win so they can live in that reality. As children of God, heirs with Christ, we can live in the reality of victory and we can live in the reality of abundance. Abundance. As God's kids, we have everything. Think about it. God owns everything and we are co-heirs with Christ and that means there is not a lack of resources in the kingdom of God. Now, this does not mean that God wants all of his kids to be rich and comfortable and healthy. Because did you notice he talked about if we suffer with Jesus, we also get glorified with Jesus. Jesus didn't really own anything, didn't have a house, didn't live in the lap of luxury. So we need to understand, though, that in God's kingdom, there is no lack of resources in the kingdom. And God gives his kids stuff. He blesses us with material blessings. God gives his kids stuff, but it's not for you. He doesn't give his children stuff just for them. He gives his children stuff so that we can share the stuff that God gives us with other people in Jesus' name. That's the purpose of him giving you stuff is so that you can give it away in Jesus' name so that uh, you can bless other people with it. And here's the thing, the only way you can do that is when you realize that God's not running out of stuff. You have to have this, this attitude of abundance, this understanding that is heirs with Christ, that we're not going to run out of stuff in order to be able to release the stuff. And then what you find is that God gives his children who are giving the stuff away more stuff. Because he's happy about what they're doing. He goes, oh, they get it, and so they're going to give it away, so I'll give them more stuff. Think about this. You got kids. A lot of you have kids at home. A lot of you uh, used to have kids at home. But if you have children and one of them is being selfish towards their friends, do you delight in that? You know, and they grab the toys and go, I don't want to share my toys. And they try to hold them all. You ever seen kids like that? They got like 18 toys because they don't want anyone to play with their toys. Are there any parents in here that when you saw your kids doing that went, good job. 
I'm so proud of you for being selfish. That's our family tradition right there. No. I mean, you smacked them or you sent them to time out. You took the toys away and ripped them out of their arms and went and crying. You were good. Go cry. You're selfish. That's not who we are. We want to share. Okay, we are children of God. God's our parent. He's, he's looking at us, and if he sees us being selfish, do you think he's going, oh, good job. I'm going to give you more stuff because you're being selfish. No, he's not. So we've got to understand the kingdom ethics so that we can go, oh, God, you gave this to me so I can enjoy it and I can give it away. And the more that we practice that generosity, the more that we have the heart of God and the more he delights in us as his kids. Um, so let me take a moment here and just rant about something real quick. It's kind of a stupid rant, but I've already ranted in the other services. Maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. Uh, it, it, and the thing is, I rant about something that's absolutely true. You ever heard people say or post on social media something along the lines of, you know, hey, we're royalty because we're children of the king. I'm a princess because I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a prince because I'm a, a, a son of the king. And, and, and you know, here's the thing. That's absolutely theologically true. But I hate it. You know why I hate it? And, and this just occurred to me when I was writing this. Uh, I hate it because royalty in this world, what does it denote? Privilege. Royalty in this world denotes that you're better than other people. Right? Like all that king, queen, prince, princess stuff in England that goes on. People line up and watch the chariots go by, the carriages go by, and they wave. You know, and oh, what are they wearing? Who, like, who cares? Honestly, but, but it, royalty in this world denotes that you're better than other people. You know what royalty denotes in the kingdom of God? Servants. King of kings, Lord of lords, got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his followers, of his servants, and he said, if I've served you, you should serve one another. So I have no problem with the whole prince, princess kind of moniker. If you're going to wear that, just make sure you don't have a tiara on your head and roll up your sleeves and serve somebody while you're claiming that. Because that's the kingdom ethic. That's God's economy. And don't get it confused with the world stuff. So as children of God, as heirs with Christ, we can live in the reality of victory and abundance, and we can live in the reality of life. Life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Uh, see, our hope is the kingdom of God that we inherit. It's not the present. And our hope is not the health and comfort and safety of our physical bodies. Our hope is eternal life, that one day we're going to get new bodies and, and, and they're not going to get hurt and get old and get sick and die anymore. And, and so we choose not to fear pain or suffering or death because God has given us life eternal. And we know that because we're children of God. Because God's highest interest is not your health and safety. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said in the same verse that he says you're heirs with Christ, that you get to suffer with Christ. Well, Jesus died. You guys know that, right? And then God raised him from the dead. And that's the promise to us, that, that when we die, we're going to get raised from the dead, and we get eternal life, and, and, and everything gets better. And, and so we need to let that reality just transform our souls and not give in to the fear of safety. 
You know, a lot of us struggle with that whole idea of, is it going to be safe? Can I do that because it's safe? Is that we, you know, we send mission teams all over the world here at Calvary, and I get asked all the time, is it safe? Now, if I was honest, I'd go, no. I mean, I can't guarantee your safety. You're going to fly in a plane. You're going to be in traffic. By the way, but you know the most dangerous thing about any mission trip? It's driving in traffic. Do you know the most dangerous part of your life? It's driving in traffic. Is it safe for you to drive to Kingman? Maybe. Let's be honest. Is it safe for you to drive on the highway out here? Maybe. But we don't think about that because we're familiar with that. And people want safety and they, they want to, you know, protect and keep. Our goal is not just safety. Our goal is not just to live longer. Our goal is to live for Jesus. Our goal is not to stay alive so that we can live tomorrow. Our goal is to live for the kingdom today and trust God with tomorrow. See, that's the reality. And, and, and Paul talks about this. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you a glimpse in the next week's uh, message. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Did you catch what he said? He goes, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be going, oh man, but earth was really bad. He's, he's saying, look, you're not going to care. In every, whatever your worst suffering is here, you're going to get there and go, ah, who cares, man? This is so good. So think about it this way. Think about it this way. What's the worst thing somebody can do to you? Kill you, right? Worst thing they do is kill you. All right, so if they're going to kill you, what are they going to do? They're going to actually send you to heaven before you thought you wanted to be there. Think about that. So you'd be really mad. Oh, you're murdering me. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. You're going to wake up and go, what was I complaining about? This place is sweet. Do I want to go back? No. Do not want to go back. I want to stay right here. Why was I, you know, it, that, that's the reality. And when that sinks into our souls as children of God, as heirs with Christ, when we know that and we live that, it allows us to live courageously as people of faith because we know the best is yet to come. Finally, as children of God, as heirs with Christ, we get to live in victory, we get to live in abundance, we live in life, and we live in power. We share in the power of God, the creative power of God, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And as children of God, we can live powerful lives influencing our families, our friends, and our community for Christ. And this power is manifested in two ways in our lives. First of all, we have the power to overcome temptation. We do not have to live as captives of our you know, habits, our hurts, our hang-ups, our addictions. We don't have to. We can say no to those, those habits of death in our lives. How do I know this? Because we talked about it last week. You look back a few verses earlier in Romans 8, and it says the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. In other words, we get to choose. Do we want to have a mindset of death, or do we want to have a mindset of life? And if you'll remind yourself of that every day, hey, I want, to, I want to have a mindset of life today, I want to have a mindset of peace today, then you're going to focus on God, you're going to seek God, and you're going to overcome in your life this, this damage that, that wants to destroy you. So the power of God in your life will change your life and set you free, and we can stop living as captives because in reality we're children. That's the first way that power is manifest. The second way that God's power is manifest in your life is you have the power to bless the world in Jesus' name. You have the power to serve other people. And the more that you serve other people in Jesus' name, the more power that you get. 
I mean, Jesus said, if you want to be great, you got to be the servant of everyone. And so your, your power is going to grow the more that you give it away, the more that you bless it for others. Because God gives you power, not for yourself, but for other people, to bless them. So you have the power to bless your spouse and your kids. By the way, that's the first place God wants you to use the power that he gives you is to bless your family, to bless your spouse, to bless your kids. If you're not using it there, don't worry about trying to use it someplace else. That's kind of the, the initial place that God wants us to use our power to bless, and it's also a qualifying place. So are you loving your wife? Are you loving your husband the way that, that you can to bless them, to build them up, to encourage them? Are you loving your kids? And not, not just by providing for them, but are, are you using your words to bless them too? Are you telling them that you love them? Are you telling them that you forgive them? Are you telling them that you're proud of them? Are you telling them that you're glad God gave them to you? Whether they are little or whether they're adults. Are you choosing to use that power to bless? Are, are you blessing your friends and your families and your coworkers and your neighbors? Are, are you blessing people by leading them to a life-changing relationship with Jesus? Who are you influencing in this world? Who are you inviting to church so that they can meet your Savior, so that they can become children of God and have this hope that you have? That's what it means to be a child of God, to be heirs with Christ. Victory, abundance, life, power. I pray today that you know with certainty that you're a child of God and a co-heir with Jesus. And if you know that, I pray that you live it. If you don't know it, then I pray today that you'll make that decision to become a child of God. Prayer teams here, pastors will be at, connect, at the Connection Centers. Find us, let us help you know that you're an heir with Christ. Let's pray.